All right, so we're in the book of John. Uh, Beth just did us a great service by reading through the entire chapter. And so that's what we're going to go after this morning. But I want to start uh, with 1989. 1989, I was eight years old. Uh, I remember 1988 better than any other year, only because I would illegally lay in bed. That was legal, laying in bed, but illegally watch the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And I became a, a Summer Olympics addict. Uh, that summer, illegally watching volleyball. Uh, but 1989, the year after, uh, in Beijing, uh, something called the Tiananmen, uh, well, no, not that, but in Tiananmen Square, uh, there were major protests that were taking place uh, for numerous reasons. And there was a, uh, a very epic photo that was taken. And so I want to show you that this morning, but I'm sure you've seen it. And you're like, that's not good quality. That's because there's not a good quality photo that exists. Okay, that's about as good of quality that you're going to get. But I'm going to keep going back to this image uh, this morning because I want for us to imagine the prayer of Jesus being like this. Now, uh, you know what? I have something really cool. We're really into technology here. Okay, so this guy, yeah, be amazed just for a second. All right. Uh, so this guy here uh, is, is standing in front of, let me count them, one, two, three, four tanks, all right? And then there are multiple tanks that just keep going. You just don't get to see them in the photo. But there's actually film footage that is even worse than this that I wish I could show as well. But there's one guy standing there, not letting these tanks move forward. And it's a pretty wild scene. In the video, he jumps up on top of the tank, and it's wild. But I want for us to, to have this image burned into our minds. So I'm going to keep throwing this up here throughout the sermon this morning. And here's why. Because it was this guy's hour, it was this guy's moment to play a part in stopping the, the tragedy that was taking place in Beijing. Thousands were killed during these protests. Horrific things were taking place. And this man was saying, no more. And he stood in front of these tanks that easily could have crushed him, easily could have shot him, just removed, but they didn't. But they didn't. And so Jesus' prayer in John 17 is, he's just about to die. This is like final prayer. There's, there's this long prayer. There's the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that he's going to pray. And there's prayers from the cross. And those are the last prayers we have of Jesus. So the last moments with his disciples, he spends praying. He spends praying. And he begins this way in John 17, uh, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Father, dad, it's time for you to make me famous. Time for you to reveal who I am. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's time to make me big and special because I'm all that. He says, make me big and special and weighty. Show me to the world so that you would be shown as famous and weighty and glorified. Uh, Britain has talent. Britain got talent. I don't know. Uh, some show in Britain that, where people have talent. Uh, Susan Boyle. Do you remember Susan Boyle? Susan Boyle came out, right? Uh, I don't know how to describe her. A woman, okay, a woman comes out and Simon Cowell and the two others are sitting there and the whole audience is making fun of this woman. And then she busts into this, I dreamed a dream and never die. You know, all that. You should be amazed too, okay, uh, that I did that. But she busts into this and, and the whole audience loses their mind because never did they expect that the sounds from her, almost as good as mine, uh, were going to proceed from her, right? And they were baffled, they were baffled. She was revealing her glory. But it was for her. 
It was so that she could be seen as having talent, so that she could be made famous, rightfully so, beautiful voice. But Jesus is saying, it's time for me to pull off my, my, my cape, time for me to say, I am Iron Man, time for me to reveal who I really am. But not so that everyone would ooh and awe over me, but so that you, dad, would be glorified. Right? Jesus is, is in this choreography, this dance with his father of wanting for glory to be deferred to the father. He wanted for the world to know how much the father loved the world. And the reality in Jesus's prayer is that he says, the world doesn't know my dad. The world doesn't know you, father. In John 17, 25, he says, oh, righteous father, oh, perfect, only perfect one. Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that, you that you have sent me. So his disciples have come to know the Father because of the work that Jesus has done. And so here's, here's the, the situation of the world. Okay, world is not like the big globe, whether you thought it was flat. I guess there's like a flat world conspiracy thing as well. That's kind of weird. But um, whether you think the world's flat or round, it's not all of that. Okay, the world means opposition to God. All right? The opposition to God... You, Father, doesn't know you, but I know you and these know you that you have sent me. So the opposition to God is walking together, walking together in unity, in rebellion against God. So if we thought of that, that image again, let me pull that up. If we think about this image, we all want to be that, the Chinese man who stands there and gets in the way of the tanks coming, but that's not us. We're the tanks, you're like, oh, cool, I've always wanted to be a tank. But the guy is more powerful than the tanks. The guy is stopping the tanks. So we collectively together are this army that's moving toward God in rebellion. Rebellion against him and moving past God towards destruction, that we together are that. This is the wonderful harmony of humanity is that we are moving against God in rebellion towards destruction. But here's the good news the good news is that Jesus came. He came to be just like this guy, but far better than this guy. Jesus comes to stop the rebellion and not just stop it, but to turn it, right? This guy is faced this way or whatever way he's facing, all right? Tanks are coming the other way. This guy is gonna move this way. And as Jesus is moving that way, he desires to turn the tanks, turn us in our hearts and bring them, bring us with him that this is the power of what Jesus is about. And here's his hour. The hour has come. The hour has come for me to do something about this rebellion. So what does he do? Well, he starts off by praying and he prays as our priest. And priests, I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor and that confuses a lot of Quebecers um, that I'm married and that I can have sex and that I can have kids and all that. Like, ah, this doesn't make sense. Because the, the idea of a priest is that it would be a celibate man uh, who you would go to get your kid baptized, you get married, uh, and you would go see him, but not really see him in a little box, and you would you know, confess your sins, and that priest would somehow talk to God for you and then tell you what you need to do to be made right with him. But that's, that's not what a priest really is supposed to do. A priest is supposed to stand between God and man and, and, and intercede on behalf of man to God, but a priest can only tell you what you need to do. Our great high priest has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so this is what we're gonna look at. Jesus prays 
And this is amazing. If Jesus prays, what does that mean for us? Jesus is, is God. We believe he's God and we'll look at that in a minute. But if Jesus prays, what does that mean for us? Because most of us, all right, if I'm just going by statistic, most of us live prayerless lives. Meaning that often we pray only when we really need something or have gotten ourselves in a bind. And Lord, if you just get me out of this thing, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. And we know how that usually goes. But Jesus's ministry is characterized by dependence on the Father. Always praying, gets up early in the morning. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Getting up early in the morning to be in communion with the Father. It wasn't a religious activity for Jesus. It was life. It was knowing the Father knowing God and being known by him, receiving all energy, power, vision, clarity, decisions out of that relationship with the father that we can't neuter the two. The prayer is not simply religious activity. Prayer is knowing and being in communion with the father. And so Jesus's ministry is characterized by prayer. So what does he pray for? What does Jesus pray for? Simply put, he prays for unity and oneness of his people. He prays for unity and oneness of his people. Why would Jesus do that? Why do you think he'd pray for unity and oneness? Well, simple answer is because we can't attain it. We can't get unity and oneness together unless God actually gives that to us. Unity is fleeting. We've seen a great example of a unifying thing over these past few weeks. It, it's a tragic unifying thing, but the hashtag me too, right? Social media blowing up with it. Um, lots of people talking about their, their experience with sexual harassment, sexual stuff in the past. Uh, we're seeing that companies are actually doing something about this as well. Like this is, we're, ha we're seeing some great things take place. People are being removed for some of the horrific things that they've been doing, thinking that they could just get away with that, right? So there's a unifying theme to that. But how long do you think that's gonna last for? It, it's, it's trending right now. And there's a reason why there's a trending category because trends are fleeting. In the US, in the, the NFL, football, where, where you throw not with your foot, Okay, uh, football, a lot of African-American players are kneeling during the national anthem. They're unifying together. Some people are critical, some are supportive, but it's a unifying thing. But one day that will go away for sure. So unity is fleeting. So what is this unity that Jesus is praying for that we can't attain? What do we need to get? There are three things. Uh, one, unity is supernatural. We'll look at that first. Secondly, unity is missional. And third, uh, unity is eschatological. I knew you'd love a big word, but really uh, unity is for the future. So unity is supernatural, unity is missional, unity is for the future. So let's get at this. Unity is supernatural. It's unfathomable. Unfathomable. A fathom is a, is a, is a standard measurement, right? And if something is unfathomable, it means you can't measure it. We don't have the, the systems to be able to measure this type of depth. It's just really, really big. This is what unity is. Unity is like unthinkable. How can I be in unity with all of you? I couldn't even get coffee with all of you in one week. How are we ever gonna be in unity with one another? Well, Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. 
And this is the type of unity that Jesus wants for us. Look, John 17, verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, his disciples. I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is praying that we would be one like the Father and the Son are one. This is crazy. This is crazy. Let me unpack this for you, okay? We have one God, Three persons, one God. I often do this because I know that there are some of you here that don't believe in this God. And so I don't want to treat you like an outsider. I want you to come in. I want for you to know what we're talking about when we say God. Because we don't mean that you can just decide whatever you want is God. We believe that there's one God. That's it. One God who exists in three persons. Father, Son, Son being Jesus, and the Spirit. And that they're one in essence that they're perfectly the same and yet they're, they're diverse in their roles. And so the father, we see the, the different roles in creation and redemption. This is like extra, all right? This is extra stuff this morning. I know you came here looking for extra, so you're welcome. I wanna give it to you. Uh, we see the, the father, son, and spirit in diverse roles in creation and redemption. So we see that the father plans, we see that the son accomplishes, and that the spirit applies. And so we see these two realities in creation, redemption. The father plans, the, the son accomplishes, and the spirit applies. So back to, our, back to our thing. But they have one aim. God has one aim as father, son, and spirit. They're all moving in the same place. And that is the glory of God and the redemption of, of humanity and the renewal of all things. It's a pretty epic aim. You're like, I hope to get a C in my class. I hope not to get fired. Lord is like, I want all the glory and to renew everything. That's pretty good. That beats mine. So Jesus comes, the father sends the son and Jesus comes and he's set apart. In John 17, verse 19, Jesus prays, for their sake, disciples' sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart that they also may be sanctified, changed, set apart in truth. And so Jesus comes, and Jesus comes and literally stands in front of the tank of evil. Jesus stands in front of the evil one. Jesus stands ready to take on our sin, our rebellion. Remember, we're all the tanks that are moving against God towards destruction. And Jesus comes and he stands in front of the tank. And the cross demonstrates, in a very bizarre way, the unity of God. So the father knowing that humanity would be separate from him forever because of our sin, our rebellion, we could, the unholy could not be with the holy. So what does the father do? He sends the son. He sends the son to become a man, to be fully God, to be fully man. And Jesus lived a perfect life, righteous life. He goes to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute for us. And the cross demonstrates the unity of God that the son is accomplishing the plan of the father to bring God glory, to allow for us to be redeemed, made new, and for us to contribute and participate in the renewing of all things. And so Jesus goes to the cross, he dies. He pays for that re rebellious march. He pays, there's a payment for your rebellion and my rebellion. It's death. 
Okay, we're talking about big words. Uh, the theological concept would be the, the penal substitutionary atonement, that Jesus was a substitute for us. He was a substitute payment because you couldn't pay for your sin. You couldn't pay for your rebellion. So Jesus steps in front of the tanks and does it for us. But a dead savior is not good news for us. That's like a memorial thing that we set aside a day for him to remember his death. But we don't do that. In Christianity, we set aside a day to remember his resurrection. That Jesus dies for us. The payment has been made. He rises to new life and he offers us eternal life. This is really good news this morning. You're like chomping your Tim Hortons, eternal life. It's so much better than that fatty chocolate thing that you're putting in your body right now. So much better. This is what eternal life is. Since you have given him authority, Jesus praying to the Father, since you have given him, me, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Pay attention. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That we get to know God. We formerly rebels get to now know God. We get to know him as our dad. We get invited to, to climb all over him as our father. My kids, literally, I sit in a chair and they fight for who gets to climb on me, climb on me in places that hurt a lot, who gets to fall and pull my hair as they're going down. And I love it most of the time. I love it. And God is like that. He's a dad who says, I don't want to keep you out. Come on in, climb all over me. Pull my hair, explore my mouth. See how perfectly I've flossed, like play, have a good time. I've made it so that you could be in my presence. He's not this stoic figure. He's a fatherly figure. He's a fun figure. He's a holy figure who wants to make you and I holy. And as Jesus comes to us, risen from the dead, telling us about who he is, we're still in the tanks, ready to fire. God, you ruined my life. God, I don't even believe in you. God, I don't believe you exist. God, I don't know why you would allow for suffering. God, I don't know why you made me this way. God, why don't you like these people? God, like you were ready to, to slam against him in our tanks. And he shows us, look, I'm renewing all things. I'm, I will make you new. I died for you. I've risen. I'm here for you. And that becomes good news for us. And we say, I don't want to fight against you anymore. And he turns the tank around to be with him. Now that's an awkward image for us in a tank to be rolling next to Jesus. So maybe we want to think of a, a battle image and I searched for images, but I couldn't find any good ones that I could show. But if we think that we're all in battle with appropriate wear and axes and spears and like we're coming to fight against God and we're moving towards destruction and Jesus comes to us and he rescues us and he changes us and he clothes us in his righteousness and he turns us and now we get to walk with him in linked arms the opposite way that we were going before. This is what Jesus does. And now we're on this retreat. So if you're all coming at me, right? You're all coming at me and I'm walking this way. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. That Jesus turns us because we were all walking together this way. Jesus turns us and now we walk this way. Totally different than the way that we've lived before. And it's this retreat march that we're going back through the world, the opposition to God. Jesus prays, don't, I'm not asking you to send them out of the world. Don't put them in a little silo or a little bubble over there. No, 
They're going to be sent back into the world. They're going to be sent back into temptation. They're going to be sent back into to a place where the enemy is, who wants to lie to us about who God really is. But the unity that Jesus wants for us, because what happens is as we're the army and Jesus is changing us, so you too turn around with me and we link arms and we move together behind our king, King Jesus. And we're on team Jesus. We belong to his family with a dad that we can pull his hair and jump all over. We're on that team now. We're completely different. And the unity that we have is not, oh, we all wear the same t-shirt. We all get a secret tattoo. We all wear special underwear. It's not that. There are groups that do that. That's crazy, all right? That's not that. Unity is that we are one because of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. We are one in love. I don't love you all the way I want to love you, but Jesus is changing my heart to love you, hopefully more like he loves you, right? And the same for you with me and all of us. So we move in unity in the gospel, in love, and in dependence, with dependence, so it's tricky to say independence, right? But we're dependent on God. This is what unity is, it really is. It's so easy to divide. It's so easy to divide. We all have our preferences. We all have our favorite places to eat. We all have our, our favorite political ideologies. We all have our favorite understanding of whatever. It's so easy to divide. And it's so easy to divide as we're linking arms with Jesus and walking. It's so easy to divide and actually turn back and walk the way that we were going before. It's so easy to be with the tanks again in opposition to God. It really is. We live in a world of disunity. We live in a world of disunity. And here's the banner that we fly, the big flag that we fly in our world of disunity, that everybody's right. Everybody's right. Except when you say, well, no, you're wrong. Well, no, no, you're wrong. Like, oh, now we're not flying under our, our flag anymore. Right? The ideology breaks down once you actually begin to talk about this stuff. But in a superficial world of social media, where you don't actually have to go and talk to anyone to order something, you can literally sit at home in your underwear, or without your underwear for that matter, you can sit at home and basically do your whole world. As long as you have a camera positioned in the right place, you could do your business meetings, you could order your food, leave it at the door, right? Uh, you, could, you could do everything and not actually interact with people and wave the banner of everyone is right. But the minute you engage with someone, you're like, we are so different. We don't agree. So which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong? And the enemy, the enemy knows that it's so easy to divide us. Here's what Jesus prays for us. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You keep them from the enemy. Here's what the enemy wants for you and I. The enemy wants for us to live for any other glory except Jesus. Anything the glory of your hobby, the glory of your dog, the, the way that dogs walk around in our neighborhood, like there seems to be Shekinah glory that's gleaming off of their diamond studded, you know, paw things. I don't know. Like they just look crazy. I'm like, what creature is that? It's a dog. Let us all bow down and worship your dog. It looks wild. But I, I digress when I talk about silly things like this. But the enemy wants you to live for any other glory but Jesus. 
He even wants you to live for Christian glory outside of Jesus. Well, how would we do that? Well, when it becomes about my church, my church is the right church. My denomination is the only denomination. My theology is the only theology. My people, we're the only ones that are really living this out, right? My idea, my, my, my. When it becomes about you, it no longer becomes about Christ. And so there's a way for the enemy to divide us as followers of Jesus from others because we look down at other churches. Oh, they don't do missional communities. Couldn't really be the church. That's the way Mike Gockley talks, not me. Hey. Where are you, Mike? Are you in here? Oh, no. I see the glory shining from your head. Of course you're here. Uh, I love you, Mike. <clears throat> Mike could beat me up, but he won't do it up here, probably. Uh, his son's coming to do it. <laughs> but it's so easy for us to be about our thing, that our thing is better than other people's thing. And so we end up dividing as the church. That's the work of the enemy. Now, there are things that people do in the name of the church, and I'm like, ah, you're actually not part of the church. You think Jesus is a unicorn and that was flying over clouds and that dropped down as a man for a little while and, you know, went away before he really went to the cross. Like, that's not Jesus. So you can't really be the church. You have to have a right view of who Jesus is. But unity, unity moves us from me to his. It moves us from my thing to his thing. Look at what Jesus what we see in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What's our confession? Jesus. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's that throne that we can jump all over like kids, right? Some of our prayers are so formal. Thou art my father, right? Dad, dad, you're here, right? That's the way that we can pray. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Unity moves us from me and my thing to his thing. Unity says, we don't agree with all the secondary things that that, that church or that denomination is about, but that's okay, we're about Jesus. And so we wanna move forward under his name and for his fame. And here's what happens. When we focus on me, the enemy neuters our army from key artillery that's needed, right? He removes a key piece of the artillery that's needed as we're marching back through the worlds. Here's why. Unity is missional. Unity is missional. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. If you believe, that's us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. These are epic things we'll look at. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The world doesn't know the Father. The world hates the church. The church is moving through the world, right? We're moving in opposition. We're going through. 
Here's the image again. But as we're going through the world, some are going to believe. Verse 20, some people are going to believe. How? How are people going to believe? Because we, the people of God, are going back through the world. We're sent back. Don't remove them, Dad. Send them back into the world. But we're going back into the world different than how we left it. We're going back with brothers and sisters, with a a savior, a rescuer who's alive, with a dad who has grace and mercy for anyone who will call on him. We go back with arms linked. There's nothing else like the church. Nothing else like the church. We're different races and languages and colors and shades from different parts around the globe that we can unite around Jesus in love and independence on him. So we go past the tanks different. We go past the tanks different than, than we were with them before. And we go past the tanks and the army coming at us with people that look very much different. Let me share with you this verse. When he had found him from the book of Acts, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church, taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Antioch was a city of about 500,000 people, huge city, had multiple, multiple people groups. They put up walls in the city so that people didn't attack each other because you couldn't order things in your underwear online at that point, right? You actually had to go out and talk to people. And if you were in your underwear, probably someone would tackle you and cover you and do something. I don't know. But Antioch was a place of walls. And what was happening was that these Christians were coming together and they were different colors and they spoke different languages and they had different backgrounds. But what was uniting them together was Jesus. And so they didn't know what else to call them. So they called them little Christs, Christians. This is the power of of the gospel. When the people of God are in unity, people say, I don't even know what to call them. I've never seen that before. Even when I talk to people about the church, how our church desires to function and and in many ways does function. They're like, that's not the church. I'm like, ah, that's what the church is supposed to be. Like, oh, well, if that's what the church is supposed to be, I'm interested. Because we've demonstrated a very different picture. The church is this, this set of beliefs that if you can believe all these things, we'll let you in. If you don't, we'll bring you to the front, shame you, rebuke you until you do, and then cast you out if you ever, you know, get off task again. It's not the church. The church isn't a power play. Give me all your money. Church isn't that. The church is is this rescuing project of God to rescue people from all tongues, tribes, languages around him. Now, why is unity so important? Why is unity so important? Well, Jesus says two things. One, he says that the world will believe that the father sent the son. Now that is staggering. The way that, that followers of Jesus are in unity with one another, the world, the opposition to God looks in, they're like, ah, yes, the Father sent the Son. What? What are you talking about? How does that work? I don't know. But Jesus says that the world is gonna know that the Father sent the Son by the way that the people of God are in unity with one another. Secondly, the world will know that God loves them by the way that the people of God are in unity together. Wow. Like we give classes on like, if you meet this type of person, this is what you, how you talk to them, understanding worldviews, apologetics, evangel. Like we have classes for this. And, and Jesus does this mic drop with, if you're in unity with one another, 
then the world's gonna know the Father sent the Son and that the Father loves the world. They're gonna get it, right? Like, why are we doing anything except pursuing unity then? I mean, really? Why isn't this our main thing? Because if the Lord is going to reveal who he really is through that, then let's get at that. What stops us from doing this? The apologetic for the existence of God is love and unity lived out amongst the people of God. Because the world would say, oh, we've never really seen that. We've never really seen that before. I mean, my dream, and this is probably a lot of your dreams, this is a dream of the Lord and will be a reality, but is that there would be a diverse and unified expression of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus in every hood in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and the world, right? Someone put posters up in elementary school saying, dream big. Okay, I did. Um, so how do we make sure that there's gospel expressions in every neighborhood of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and the world? Begin with unity. Begin with love and unity amongst ourselves. We see more people meet Jesus here. We train them, we disciple them to grow as leaders. And then hopefully by his grace, we would send them out into the world. And over these past few weeks, uh, I've been with some leaders. Last week, I was in England last weekend. Um, and I was meeting with, I don't know, 13 or 14 other leaders from around the world. Um, part of Acts 29 Network, we are as a church as well. I'm the director for Canada. So I went and represented Canada uh, there. And I was talking with, with a a guy who's overseeing the emerging regions, which is like where we don't have networks, um, which is most of the world. And he's also a pastor of a very large church in Austin, about 9,000 people. And they'll be sending a team up here in January as well. And I'm like, Kevin and I were talking and at some point we got to a place where he said, you know what the most impressive number is that we have? And I'm thinking like, oh, it seems out of context, but like, you know, sometimes people talk about how many people are in the church and that becomes like a badge of honor. But Kevin says three. Three is the most impressive number I have to share with people. I said, well, what's three? He said, that's how many unreached people groups are now reached because of the work that God has done in and through our local church. And I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. So in, in my heart, thinking about unity being missional, I'm like, yeah, we want to be on mission throughout our city and throughout our weeks. Yeah, let's be about that. But I also began asking God, would you allow for us, would you allow for us to be able to send people to the unreached people groups around the world? There's about 6,989. It's pretty precise, but I say about because I'm not sure whether some of those have been reached since the numbers have been dropped. But as a church could we reach some of those unreached people groups? What's that gonna cost? Well, it's not gonna cost a lot financially. But when people go into places where the gospel has never been proclaimed before, oftentimes they lose dignity, they lose status, they lose freedom, they lose power, uh, and often they lose their life. So it's a pretty serious thing. But I'm praying, Lord, would you allow for us, would you allow for us to have people that would hear from you about an unreached people group, never been reached, never heard the good news of Jesus? Because here's the reality. My neighbors, 
they have access to the gospel. They have access through me. They could have gotten in their car or on the bus, metro, got here this morning. Um, they could have gotten to a church building service near them. There's access in North America for almost anyone to hear the gospel. But there are places around the world where there's nobody. And this breaks my heart. Nobody. There's no one to knock on their door or like kick on their hut or whatever and say, there's this great God that's pursuing you and loves you and wants to change you to be just like him. There's nobody. So I'm saying, Lord, would you allow for us to send out lots of people to unreached people groups? Would you grow our church significantly so that we could support and send and train leaders from our church? Maybe God would call one of you today or a group of you today to go into a lost an unreached people group around the world and, and show and demonstrate what it looks like to be the people of God, something they have never seen show up in their village. Through some of the works that we're supporting in India, we've seen the first believers ever in tribes, right? Ever, ever. That's amazing to me. And so me, I'm like, okay, Lord, I need to go. I need to go. I need to come home and have a weird conversation with Jess. We need to pack up and we need to move to a place where I don't know if we're going to make it. And the Lord said, hold on. But for us as a church, how do we show, how do we show the unity of God and God's people to a world in places where his name has never, ever been known? I want to get at that. Let's focus on Montreal, Quebec, Canada, but let's also not forget about the unreached people groups around the world and some of them that have representatives here in our city. Maybe the Lord would call you today. We have an academy that we're starting in September where we would love to train you to be able to do that. We, I'm serious about this. And we'll pray and we'll beg God to, to raise more money so that we can support you, but it doesn't cost much. That, that church, Austin Stone, they said, um, hey, anyone that wants to go to participate in a project around the world with, a, with an unreached people group um, or something that's contributing to that, we'll pay for you to go. And Kevin said, oh, I, I was assuming like 50 people would go. 224 people went. And he's like, ah, oh, we don't have the budget for that. But he said, like, we're, we're doing it. We're paying for them to be there. And we're praying that the Lord would send more and bring more resources. So if God is calling you into that, I fully believe that he will equip you and give you every single thing that you need for that. 6,989. Lord, would you make that number zero in our lifetime? May you reach the world. Lastly, unity is our future. Unity is our future. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, after this, this is the last book in the Bible. After this, I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Who is this group united around? They're not united around Church 21. They're not united around Acts 29. They're not united around a denomination. They're, uni they're not united around Billy Graham. They're not united around any mega church pastor. They're not united around anyone except God and Jesus. 
the lamb who is slain but who's alive. We downplay unity so often, but this is so important because this is our future. We maybe get 100 years here, maybe, but we get eternity. And it's like, oh, okay, what's eternity? Like, never ending. Oh, okay, what's never ending? Like, just think trillions and then multiply that by trillions and then multiply that by infinity, all right? That's a lot. We will forever be in unity with one another. It's just now during this weird time where we're like, well, I don't like your doctrinal statement. I don't believe the Holy Spirit does that. I believe the Holy Spirit does that. I don't like the way that you say amen when he's preaching. I don't like the way you don't say amen, right? We, we divide over these stupid things. Really, when unity is going to be our future, right? Like Baptists are gonna dance. Like Presbyterians are probably gonna wave flags or something. Like it's gonna get weird. It's gonna get really weird. You guys are gonna be vocal. Like it's, it's gonna be strange. It really will be. I'll be quiet because I won't need to preach anymore. Jesus will, right? And aren't you looking forward to Jesus preaching? Unity is our future. This is our eternity. Unity brings God glory. When we don't look at skin color, when we don't look at language, when we don't look at university, no university, can read, can't read. When we look at Jesus as our unifying theme and the unifying person, the unifying God, the world says, oh my God, I've never seen this before. And they finally get to see a piece of what God is like. And Jesus says this, I made known to them your name as how he finishes a prayer. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That God is gonna keep uniting us deeper and deeper with one another. That's the way that he works. And so here's my plea this morning. Here's my plea. Ephesians 4, one through three. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you Speaking to the church in Ephesus, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility, man, I want to be more humble. With gentleness, I want to be gentle. Would we be a gentle church? With patience, would we, would we wait without whining on the Lord? Bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know what? When I have friction with people, I'm eager to tell them what they did wrong. I'm eager to show people theologically where they're incorrect, right? I'm eager for that. But do you know what the Lord's work in our life is? When we're eager to get at unity and not sweeping things under the rug. There are things that need to be spoken of. But when we look at other people's success and we're like, go Jesus. When we look at other people doing well, when other banners are being raised because Christ is using them and we can say, yes, that is not the name of Church 21, but that is all for the glory of Jesus. When we can do that, that's the work of the Lord. That's what unity looks like. And so this is my plea that we would walk together as the people of God in Montreal, in Quebec, in Canada against the evil, against the world flesh, and the enemy, that we would be eager for, for unity, that we would pray for unity, that we would fight for unity. Unity takes long meetings. I hate long meetings. Unity takes like day-long meetings. But when you fight for unity, the spirit loves to give it. He really does. He really does.
The nations need this. The nations do not need more colonizing. The nations do not need Western Christianity. The nations do not need, they don't need us. The nations need the Lord. And God is so gifted, this nation. If you're here this morning, you are rich. I don't care who you are. You're rich. You're all wearing clothes. Good. Uh, you've eaten in the last 24 hours unless you're intentionally fasting. Um, you have access to more than $5 for today. If you don't have access to $5, the person next to you has $5. Give them a nudge. There's no one next to me, so I can say that. Nudge the person next to you. Ask them for five bucks, all right? Uh, you have, we have access to, to wealth. All around the world, they don't. We as the people can be sending people to go and equip nations, equip leaders so that they can lead these movements. I am so not interested in going to a nation where most people are brown or black and being the one on a stage. No way. I want to equip one person or a few people that they would be able to grow in understanding and competency and conviction and character that they could be the ones leading their people and that we could learn from them, right? That's my heart. Some of my heart as well is our elders, right? Let's pray for this this morning. Our elders, we are all white dudes, very white, some with hair, some not with hair, all right? Um, but we're, we're white, some big, some tall, but we're white. I am praying that the Lord would bring much more diversity and color to our leadership, that we would begin to represent more of what Montreal is. I am praying for more Quebecois to be part of our leadership. I'm praying for the French church to grow. I'm praying that we would be able to plant churches in French Africa through the French church, right? Let's be praying for these things, that we can be a better picture to Montreal of what the church globally really looks like. So let's give up our, our building, our idea of, of what things look like from our viewpoint. And Lord, what do you have for us in unity? How do you want to, us to display as the people of God moving forward against the, the tide and current of the world? How do you want for us to do that? Because through the people of God being in unity, the world will know that the Father sent the Son and that he loves them. Receive today what you were made for. You were made for God. You were made for his family. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, unity is really hard. It's extremely difficult. In fact, I don't, I don't know how we do it. The only way that I know to do it is by being dependent on you, by proclaiming the gospel to one another, growing in those, the reality of, of those truths, being comforted in that, loving one another, and talking about you to the world's. Lord, help us to know. Help us to know how to be in unity with, with other local churches. Uh, church 21 is not the answer for the city you are. And so help us to figure out how to, how to be about that, how to get at it. Spirit, I, I pray that you would speak to people who don't know you this morning, that this morning they would meet you, Jesus, as their rescuer, and that they would be changed. They would be brought into the family. And I pray for the unreached people groups around the world. Lord, would you identify some for us to be about? Would you equip people in, in this church to be sent, 
to go and, and give up their lives, give up Western living so that all the nations would know and that the nations would be glad. Would you give us more resources to be able to do that? Would you give us more people? Would you give us more finances? Would you give us more vision and clarity? I pray that our, our elder board would be much more colorful, that we would have, have, have people of, from different races and, and different languages, that, that we would get to see this beautiful melange between the French church and, and the English church, that we would really work as one for your glory in this city and so that the city would see something that they've never seen before. And would we work with other local churches? Would we work with other denominations under the banner of you because you're most important? Jesus, I can't wait to see you face to face. We pray for millions and millions and millions and millions of people from Canada to be there with us. And we have a great need for you to do this work of unity. If there's anything in someone's heart this morning that's just out of unity with someone else here, would you cause them to go and make that right today? Fix that. You are God of reconciliation. So we love you and we need you. Amen.